And aren't you proud that God speaks a word of encouragement to us? Especially when we so desperately need it. We so desperately need it. When we've been talking about Paul's work in his ministry the last few weeks, we cannot help but see all of the difficulty that he faced. I mean, his journey, his proclamation of the gospel took him down some difficult roads. And we must think, you know, about Paul. Here's Paul. Yes, he is the great apostle that we affirm, that we esteem. I mean, he is, he is a man of grit. He is a man of destiny. We know that. But don't forget he is a man. Don't forget he is flesh and blood just like us. Don't forget that every time he faces opposition, every time he faces hostility, some discouragement must settle in in his heart and his life. What we've seen over the last few weeks is that not only is Paul challenged by some of the church leaders themselves in Jerusalem, he is also challenged by his ethnic brothers and sisters, the Jewish people there, and he has the Roman authorities now who have taken him in, basically taken him into custody for his own protection. And here he is, his basic The basic reason that he is in custody, the basic reason he has found himself in opposition, hostility with his Jewish brothers and sisters, even the issues that he's faced within that early church, well, it's all because of his obedience. I mean, God called him to go to Jerusalem. Remember that? God said, go to Jerusalem. And and the prophet Agabus had said, now, Paul, when you go, this is what's going to happen. I want you to be clear about this, that you're going to face persecution. But Paul, he is determined in his obedience to God. He says, I'm going. That's what God's called me. I'm going. And he faces all of this difficulty. He he has stood before the Supreme Court of Israel. He has stood before the Sanhedrin. And he has given his defense. He was wise. He was blessed by the Spirit of God in his life as he argued, as he made his defense. But again, again, He faced hostility. So verse 11. Chapter 23 verse 11. I think is just a needed moment of encouragement. In Paul's life. And I I just love this verse. I could just circle it over and over. In the midst of all these court proceedings. In the midst of all this back and forth. It says this. Of how the Lord encouraged Paul. He said. It says in verse 11. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, notice this. It says that the Lord appears to Paul and stands by him. First of all, the the presence of the Lord and the position of the Lord right by Paul should bring this encouragement that is so desperately needed. I mean, there's the Lord, okay? So, so Paul's, Paul is going through all these difficulties. He's facing all these things, all this opposition. And God comes to him and he stands right by him. And he offers him this word of encouragement. He says, you be of good cheer. Isn't it awesome to know that the Lord can whisper words of encouragement into our ears? 
Sometimes maybe the road can grow difficult for us even when we feel like we've been obedient. I mean, even when we feel like, okay, we're where we're supposed to be and this is what God wanted us to do and this is what God wanted us to say and yet things didn't turn out exactly the way we thought they would. It's, it's encouraging to know that the Lord can stand right beside you, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you to be of good cheer. I want you to be encouraged. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives oftentimes. The Holy Spirit. This last week I was um, working in my intro to preaching class with some of the students that, that I have there in North Monroe. And, and I was looking at different words for preaching in particular. Like uh, evangelizing, proclaiming, bringing the good tidings. There's one word in particular that sometimes translated in the scripture to encourage or to exhort. You'll hear in the New Testament the idea of the preachers exhorting people, encouraging them. It comes from the Greek word which means something like to call alongside, to encourage. That word is also used, that noun form of that word is used to refer to the Holy Spirit as well. So think about this. The Holy Spirit as the way John would tell us in his gospel, is the one who comes alongside. He is called alongside of us. I think that's an awesome picture, a beautiful picture of God's presence to his people. Because really, what encourages us and what empowers us today as believers? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit who has come to live within us the Holy Spirit is the encourager, the comforter. He is the one who empowers us to go about our business. None of us could do what we do for the Lord if the Holy Spirit did not give us the strength that we so desperately need. And that's the reason we have to be dependent upon Him. And what happens is God's Spirit comes into our lives and He will encourage us in some, in some very significant moments of our lives. Just those particular moments when... We will so desperately need it. And, and again, how many of us in this place need some encouragement every now and then? If we're honest, right? Some of you are liars. But my, some of us, if we're honest, we need encouragement. I mean, I mean, all of us get to that point. All, could you imagine? You know, I try to place myself in the text, as I talked about a few Sunday mornings ago. I try to envision. I try to imagine what it must have been like. But I mean, here you are. I mean, you've come back. You probably know some of these people. You, 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 at one point, you were on the same side as some of these people. You recognize them. Even the folks that you've known in the church, they, they've, tried to, they've tried to say, Paul, you've got you to bring it back a little bit. You've got to work with us. You've got to try to demonstrate that you're not against the the ethnic Jew that's out there. And, and Paul was all for those things. Remember, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to I'm try to take this vow, and we're going to try to bring people together. And even his, even his mission back to Jerusalem was bringing the Gentiles and the, and, the, and the Jewish people together through an offering. I mean, he was trying to bring peace to the church. And in the midst of trying to do that, he's, he's charged in bringing in Gentiles into the temple, which he did not do. He's almost torn limb to limb. He's been brought before the people. He's been, he's been ushered out 
in the custody of the Romans. So all this stuff, again, he, he's there and he's, he's got to be facing some discouragement. If that had been me, I think I'd been like, can I just, can I just stay in the Antonio? Just keep me up here. I don't think I want to see any of my friends. I don't think I want to see any of the other folks that I call my brothers and sisters. I don't think, I mean, there have been so many times that we probably would have just wanted to throw up our hands and say, God, that's enough for us. We, we've done all that we can. Those times come in our lives. Those moments come. But thankfully there are those moments where Christ Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, stands right by us and says, be of good cheer. And get this. He speaks to him that word of encouragement, be of good cheer. But he also reminds him that he is going to fulfill the purpose that he has for his life. He says this. He says, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. In other words, what God says to Paul is, hey, I'm not through with you yet. I know you're in Jerusalem, and I know that you're going through all of this persecution right now, and I know people are turning against you, but just know I'm in control, and I'm not through with you yet. You have shared, you have testified in Jerusalem, but I'm going to take you to Rome. You've gone to Jerusalem. Obviously, the, the center of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation, but I'm going to take you to the center of the world. I'm going to take you to Rome. And you're going to testify of me there. So I'm not through with you yet. What a message. Isn't that awesome when God looks into your life and says, Hey, I'm not through with you yet. Says, be of good cheer. No matter what's coming against you, you don't forget, I am not through with you. I've got some things I want to do. And God, in His sovereignty and His power will always fulfill His ultimate will and purpose for us. In other words, it may look like things are out of control. It may look like the Jewish leadership. It may look like the Roman leadership will totally move against Paul here at this place. But God's like, uh-uh. I'm still in charge. Nothing's going to happen until I fulfill my purpose through you. Remember the life of Jesus as well. Remember the timing that Jesus would point to. He would talk about the hour and he would talk about how my hour has not come. Especially in the Gospel of John. He would talk about this purposeful timing of God the Father. In other words, even when it looked like people were pushing back against Jesus. Even when maybe Jesus' life would be cut short. God was still in control. God had a purpose for Christ, and he was going to fulfill that purpose for his son. And nothing, no power of earth, no power of hell itself could accelerate the time frame or cut short the purpose and the plan of God. And I think that's what God says as he speaks to Paul here. It, it, it's, again, one of those points where the disciple in his life takes upon the example of the Lord himself. Paul's life mirrors the life of Jesus. 
those forces that are fighting against cannot overtake God's purpose and God's power. Can't do it. God says, I will fulfill my will for you. You're going to Rome, boy. I'm going to put you right there in the center of the world and you are going to preach the gospel. It's going to happen. Wonderful encouragement. It comes in the midst of hostility. It comes in the midst of opposition. And listen, he so needed that word that night. You know, sometimes I've gotten such encouraging presence. I'm not saying to you I've heard an audible voice of God. I'm saying to you that the Holy Spirit has brought comfort and encouragement to my heart and life just as though he had spoken audibly. And you've probably had some of those moments too, and it always comes at the right time. Sometimes it's right after, and oftentimes it can be right before the difficulties that will come in our lives. Paul is in the midst of difficulty, okay? He's in the midst of hostility. Notice verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. So, thankfully, God had encouraged Paul right at the right moment because the next day, 40 individuals come together and they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill Paul. And we're going to take an oath that none of us will eat or drink until we have killed him. And if you look at the original language, it really says something like, we will fulfill this vow or we will be condemned. Literally, I mean, it is a strong word. It is the idea that we offer ourselves for damnation if we do not fulfill this vow. That's how strong and intense they were. Forty of them. I read so many different uh, commentaries and so many different takes on it as far as we wonder if they ever ate or drank again. Because they made this vow, but we know they were not able to accomplish the fulfillment of that vow. Because God took care of Paul. Just as God had encouraged him and God said, hey, I'm going to send you to Rome. Notice how God works here, okay? Notice how God works to fulfill that purpose and plan. Verse 14, it says, They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. So here they've made this vow. They go to the Sanhedrin, the council. They say, hey, you call Paul back down. And while Paul comes back down to you all, we will, we will lie in ambush and we will kill Paul on the way down. That's the plan. And notice who hears about the plan. Paul's nephew. I mean, how did this happen? I mean, he had, had they tweeted out something they didn't realize that they had done? I mean, Paul's nephew, we're, we're not told. We have no idea. Maybe Paul's nephew was just sitting on a curb at the right moment when he heard these conspirators talking, or maybe he had heard something about the council coming together. Maybe he, he had, Somehow he had heard it. Paul's nephew. Somehow 
God, in his own way, had arranged Paul's nephew to come into this information. And he goes, Paul's nephew goes to the barracks. He tells Paul, verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. This is awesome. Remember what God said? God said, hey, you be a good cheer. I'm going to take care of you, and you will fulfill your purpose. You're going to preach in Rome. The next day, this conspiracy breaks out. Forty individuals, they say they're going to kill Paul. So what does God do? Well, God uses this this happenstance of Paul's nephew finding out about the mission, about the plan. I mean, this incidental little moment God uses. And then he brings this boy to the tribune. He brings him to the commander of the post. And this pagan commander, okay, this pagan tribune then arranges for the escape and the protection of Paul. See, I just think that's cool. One, that God can take such small things, like maybe just overhearing conversation at the right time, at the right moment. Some of you might say it was coincidental. I would just say it was God-ordained. And then he was able to work in the life of a pagan tribune. I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture, right? That our God, our God is above every earthly ruler. That the king that we have and the Lord that we have that he can move upon the heart of any pagan ruler and that he is greater than any of them. And here he uses a pagan tribune to protect Paul. And, and does he ever, right? Did you see this? It says he calls for like two centurions who basically would be over 200 different soldiers. He calls to them and he says, hey... Get these 200 soldiers, get 70 horsemen, get 200 spearmen. Let's see, Mississippi math, 200, 270, 470 or so people. Ten times and more the amount of those who are involved in the conspiracy. God says, you don't worry about it, Paul. I'm about to get you a pagan guard right here to take care of you. They may not know what they're doing. They may not realize that they're a part of this plan. But I'm going to protect you. And it says that they provide a mount for Paul. And they, they send him off to Caesarea. And we're going to pick up next week. Talk a little bit about the trial. Well, three weeks from now, I guess. 
we'll pick up and we'll talk a little bit about the trial there in Caesarea. But get this. Here they are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the center of religious activity. The capital that would be recognized by the Jewish people. Jerusalem. The tribune hears of the report and what's going on. He orders his men to leave immediately. Nine o'clock at night. And to start out towards Caesarea. Caesarea is up by the sea. Caesarea is the... Well, it is the Roman capital of Jerusalem, if you want to put it that way. It was built by Herod the Great. Herod the Great had built Caesarea right by the sea so that, so that if the Jews ever led a rebellion against him, all he had to do was call his Roman friends and bring in many troops right there that could come down and crush such a rebellion. The governor, the procurator, the, the leader of Rome for that area, he would stay most all the year in Caesarea, rarely coming down. To Jerusalem. So basically he says. I need to get you to the Roman capital. Because there are more people there. And there will be protection. We're going to send you up to Caesarea. And he writes a letter. He says. Verse 26. Claudius Lysias. He finally identifies himself. The tribune the commander. He identifies himself as Claudius Lysias. To the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews. And was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops I rescued him having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris which was about 30, 35 miles as you go up towards Caesarea. The next day, they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked him what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear when your accusers have also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So what God does is he says... I will take care of you. You will fulfill your purpose. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move upon the heart of this tribune. I'm going to move upon the heart of this commander to take you with all the necessary escort that, is, that you would have, that you would need for protection. Go to Caesarea and there have protection from these accusers. God, he speaks. He stands by Paul and he says, you be of good courage. You, you be of good courage. Be of good cheer. I'm going to take care of you. I've sent you to Jerusalem. You have testified just as I've asked you to do. Now I'm going to send you to Rome. And then what God does in the next day is just show his faithfulness. He shows him that he's going to continue to fulfill that purpose. That's a good God. And that's a God we need in our lives. A God of encouragement. A God who will speak to us at those definite, decisive moments. A God who will remind us of His purpose for us and His plan. A God who will not only announce the plan to us, but will 
fulfill the plan in us. That is what Paul continues to experience in his ministry and his work. And my prayer is that this week, my prayer is that this month, as we continue day by day living with him, that we would experience that encouragement, that cheer, but also we would see how he would constantly fulfill the plan and the purpose and that we would live in confidence every day knowing that he will work in us and through us. That he will work to complete what he has begun until he calls us home or until he appears in that eastern sky. And when we have that confidence that he will do those things, we have the joy of life. We are determined in our service. We are faithful in our witness. Tonight, may we experience his encouragement. May he stand right by us and tap us on the shoulder. And may we fulfill that call he's placed upon our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the encouragement you bring. We thank you that your spirit is the one who comes alongside who gives us the necessary strength and energy and empowerment. Father, we're thankful that no matter what we face in our culture, that, Lord, your will and your purpose, it will not be shortchanged. Father, it will not be stopped. But, Lord, you will fulfill your plan for us individually and for us corporately. God, we believe tonight, we believe tonight, agreeing here in this place, that you have the power to provide for us the protection, provide for us the empowerment that we desperately need to proclaim your gospel. And Father, whether it's a, what some would call a coincidental moment, or Father, maybe it is even through the resources of pagans themselves. God, I pray that you would show us your power and your manifestation. And that you would work to encourage us, to help us as we remain determined to fulfill what you've called us to. Lord, we love you this night. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?